0: Oh uh-huh. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Happy Wednesday. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday, I guess you could be listening to it anytime. I'm also happening to happening to. Yes. See words. I just. (laughs) Oh, I start this with the best of intentions and it goes awry so quickly, but that's kind of exactly what I wanted to talk about right now. So. As I've shared before, I have been in the process of moving, I have moved, I have arrived, I am fairly settled, and I am late getting these intros to my editor. And I'm sure she will tell you how annoying it is because I always do the intros at the last minute. And I do the intros at the last minute because I really pressure myself to say something brilliant in these intros. I feel like I need to be on top of everything and what's going on in the news? Do I have to talk about something crazy that's happening politically? Like, Do I have to address some stupid tragedy that keeps happening over and over and over again? And I've been inward. I've been very focused on what's happening on the macro level in my life. Because from a Maslow's hierarchy of needs perspective, right, I'm looking at literally my shelter was changed and shifted and I'm trying to learn how to be in a new city, even though it's, yes, it's not very far from where it was before, but still there's a lot that's shifted and changed. And I actually think that it's really apropos for today's guest, because we're going to be talking a lot about disability and ableism and one of the ways that I pressure myself to show up is a person who always has it together, who's always doing something productive for the cause. And the cause can be whatever, right? It could be something like political and social justice oriented or you know, helping a friend or, or whatever it is, but there's this internal pressure for forward motion and results and deliverables all of the time. And I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm trying to hold the space of I'm a content creator who gives free content and people like the content. And thank you. Right. Thanks for liking the content. Thanks for showing up. And, you know, I get the praise of people saying it's a good podcast, whatever. I get speaking gigs from this. And yet at the same time, I spend money and I spend time and I have a lot of investment in this. And it's I think it's just really interesting the more that our culture starts, not starts, we are in the midst of it, but the more that we are focused on what things look like on the outside, like what are the metrics, right? How many followers do you have? What are you producing? How many people are going to comment on your post on social media? The more we do that, like that's, that's all white supremacy culture. And part of the reason that I moved to a city just outside of Chicago is to really try to step out of the pressure flow and the energy always being electric. I wanted quiet and calm. And you know what, you guys, I got it. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's been shifting for me since I've moved and it's only been four weeks, so whatever, but (laughs) I just kind of wanted to share that with you that I've noticed instead of listening to a lot of activating content, because I'm always listening to podcasts, let's be honest. I've been listening to a lot of comedy and pop culture and things that sort of soothe me instead of activate me. And that's why I don't have as much to say to you about something like thought forward and, and I guess more, more interesting. Like I could tell you all about the Harry Styles situation with Chris Chris Pine is I see. I don't even know his name, but I can tell you all about it because I've listened to a lot of pop culture about that recently. <laughs> but but here we are. So I digress. And thank you for I guess. Thank you for meeting me where I am. Right. And not that you have a choice because I'm going to be where I am anyway. Well, you do have a choice because you just don't listen if you don't want to. But thank you. Thank you for being here and and uh, riding all of these waves with me. And if you want to show your thanks in different ways, other than just listening, I have some options for you. So I do have a Patreon that's at Wounded Healer, that's W-O-U-N-D-E-D-H-E-A-L-R, on patreon and that's where you can donate some money so you can donate a dollar a month you can donate a thousand dollars a month no don't do that that's that's excessive um but you can donate just to say thanks and i'll send you a little thank you gift and a little note at the beginning when you when you subscribe to be a patreon a patreon patron right yes Another way you can say thanks is uh, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify now. You can't write a review on Spotify, but you can click how many stars. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Therapy. So that's all the jazz. Now to the brass tacks, today's guest, Bree. Bree is a disabled art therapist and disability arts and culture maker. Brie sees individuals in private practice and also works part-time with Access Living of Metro Chicago, where she facilitates the peer wellness program. So I know that everybody is really going to enjoy this conversation that I have with Brie Beck. Hello, Brie. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to have this conversation, especially after my ableism has been like coming to the forefront in major ways. So I feel more and less prepared to have this conversation.
1: (laughs) Well, I think ableism is one of those things that many of us carry that we are very not aware of, even me and probably more so me being a part of the community and having internalized a lot of that over. The course of my life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm right there with you still. And so let's, yeah, let's get into it and we can both be honest and vulnerable about our shortcomings here. Yes. No pun intended, because I am very short. (laughs) Same here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so okay maybe pun intended i know <laughs> see we're getting into it I know. um okay but first before we do that you are a friend and you went to grad school with one of our dear head heart therapist allison so shout out to
1: allison shout out to allison al pal one of my favorite humans. Al Pal. Al Pal, yes. Oh, I don't know if she likes that I've called her that, but, but... Well, too bad. She's never told me not to. Too bad. Here it is, Al <laughs> Pal. This is your new
0: nickname forever. So Allison had sent our team a podcast interview that you did with Crip mm-hmm. Crap, right? Yes, yes. And I was like holy shit, we need to have a conversation. I listened to that, was triggered to hell and back, which is Mm. kind of the point, right? Yeah, I mean, not that you're trying to trigger me, but like for me in order to unwind this. And so I reached out and you said you've been following me on Instagram. So it's a nice little full circle.
1: Yeah, I've been following Head Heart for a while. I always really relate to your posts. I feel like they're very honest and I just really need that as a therapist to know, like, I'm not alone in some of the things that I do, like napping on the couch and, you know. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, those sorts of things (laughs) that a lot of people don't know. So it's so cool. And I was so honored when Allison connected us and was kind of a fangirl moment. So it is very, I'm very excited to be here with you. Oh, good. Awesome.
0: Well, why don't you tell people where you are, where you're practicing right now, what you're doing,
1: all the jazz. Sure. So I'm here in Chicago. I am currently kind of in two different roles right now. Full-time, I work for a group practice here in the city. Our practice is kind of a niche practice. We only work with female-identified folks. However, that can range pretty much from any gender identity besides cis men. So it is a women's niche practice called Balanced Awakening, and my office is downtown. Mainly my clients that I see are mostly young adults. That tends to be kind of the clients that are drawn towards me. So I see some teenagers, I see young adults, and I also see a lot of people that identify as disabled. So that's a group of people I really hope to continue to specialize with in the future because that's a strong part of my identity. And I try to represent that as much as I can within the field and try to promote more awareness around disability and ableism within mental health. And so that's what I do full-time, just the whole therapy thing. And I'm an art therapist, so I implement art therapy when possible. And then part-time, I work with an organization called Access Living, which is located in River North here in the city. I'm there for like, I don't know, like five, 10 hours a week or so. I do a virtual mental health support group for individuals that identify as disabled as well. Hmm. It's free for folks, so I can always give you more information. Yes.
0: Drop us that info and we'll make sure to put it in show notes.
1: I will. I will. Absolutely. It's for anybody that identifies all over the place now that we're virtual. So, anywhere in the country. Yeah. Or the world, really. And then I'm an arts and culture coordinator there. So, um, promote disability culture events and art events and kind of just a bunch of, lots of everything. We're doing like a pop up bookshop in July because it's Disability Pride Month. So, we're just trying to promote disability culture and, and pride through the arts. Mm. So, it's a cool gig. I will say I'm very tired right now. Yeah. I want to see how I can do these things and do them well and sustainably. Yeah. So, yeah. And of course, as with the world, it's been a heavy time to be in this field, but I am both feeling privileged to do the work and also spent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're not tired, then you're not paying attention. No.
1: (laughs) No. Right. Or you've been napping a lot on your therapy couch, which I do promote. Yeah, that can get you through and sustain you in the work. Like, please nap as much as possible and try not to pay attention. But yeah, you you have to pay attention. It's, It's everywhere.
0: Yeah. Before we get into the ableism and disability stuff, what's your therapist origin story? I always love these.
1: Oh, yeah, that is a great story. So I never thought I'd be a therapist. You know, it wasn't like I was growing up and was like, I want to be a therapist or really anything in social work. But I have always Been an artist. What's your primary medium? A little bit of everything, but I was a graphic designer for a while. So that was my kind of medium in college, more so called like visual communication. So it's a lot of using images and text together. And I love doing like poster art and book covers and logo designs and web, but I also love doing like mixed media collage. And I really just like really bright colors and bold text. That's kind of my thing. And I'm trying to get into more fibers, but that's a little just trying my hand at those sorts of things. But always been the art kid, always been kind of funky and weird. And so I went to school uh, for undergrad, for visual communication, left undergrad feeling totally lost because by the time I was through college, I felt like I was a different person. And Hmm. I wanted to utilize the arts, but I felt graphic design as a field, at least, was very corporate, very much about marketing and advertising, which, you know, I should have probably known going into it. But when you're young, you're like an idealist and you're like, I'm going to work for like a magazine and I'm going to be like super socially engaged. You don't know shit when you're a kid. (laughs) I will say I I love having that skill set because you can apply it to a lot of things. But yeah, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do full time. So I actually Last minute was, I'm going to do like an AmeriCorps program after grad school. And I did teach for America, which I have many, many thoughts about. And it can be problematic in many ways. Learned a lot, learned a lot about my white privilege, a lot about so much. Uh, I come from a very small town in Indiana and I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina to teach. And that was just a very eye opening experience that I was very underprepared for. Wow. However, I did find when I was teaching eighth grade math that I loved. The relationship building aspect of working with my students, again, that kind of like young adolescent age mm-hmm. I really am drawn to.
0: I'm also impressed that you could do eighth grade
1: math because if you had me do eighth <laughs> grade math now, no. yeah, truth. no, I couldn't anymore. When I was put in that position, I was like, so I'm going to learn this the night before and then teach it the next day. And it just that I could go on and on and but yeah. They need to get better folks that are more equipped to do that job. And it's, yeah, Yeah. it's versus like fresh college grads that just think they're going to save the world. world. And um, no, that's a problem in and of itself. But anyway, so learned a lot through that. Really grew through that experience. Eventually left that program because it felt very misaligned with my values. Hmm. But I stuck around, did design in Charleston. And then I, during that teaching experience, I should say I had a lot of my own trauma come up from the past. So I'm trying to make sure this all makes sense. It doesn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm disabled. I have a form of dwarfism known as pseudoachondroplasia. It's a very rare type of dwarfism, but essentially over the course of my young adult life and most of my childhood, I was in and out of the hospital, surgery after surgery, having Mm. mostly like orthopedic procedures. So when my legs and arms grow and even my spine, like it grows in more of like a curved manner, so wow. like bowed legs, bowed arms, okay. and and so I had to have a lot of procedures straighten my bones. Which even just saying that is just like, wow, that sounds like very medieval and weird. And so, yeah, torture, yeah, and it is, it kind of is, and it was so normalized for me because mm. I started having those surgeries when I was like four years old. <gasps> oh, before your little baby brain like gets yeah. it. Oh. Oh. oh God, yeah, it was just like. Oh, another surgery this summer. Cool. It was just, and you just kind of hunker down and do it time and time again because they're trying to correct the pattern of your bones while you're growing. So every right. year they would break them oh my and God. set them straight. So it was a lot. And I very much coped by just pushing it down, slash, like not even fully understanding it. Right. Mm. But was very much an achievement oriented person. I like guess student. I was, I got to get straight A's. I got to do all these things because it definitely kept me going, like having goals. But it was also to my emotional detriment because I just didn't process anything. It was just nose to the grindstone, let's keep going. And that was just all I've ever known. Mm. And so anyway, when I was doing this teaching program, I was faced with a lot of ableism from young students who didn't understand why their teacher looked different and moved differently. And I was prepared for that, but it was still this launch into adulthood that was very shocking. And I went to see a therapist for the first time when I was in my early 20s and because I wanted to address just everything, the stress at the job and what I was experiencing. And of course, the first session I sit down and I just a floodgate of so much that came out and Mm. just didn't realize the connection between The body and the mind, and how much of my medical and body trauma had just been so stuck inside of me. And there was so much to go, but the first therapist I saw ended up being a very good fit for me. And we worked together for several years, and it just was such a powerful experience for me. But at the same time, there was so much that she didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I thought over time, I was like, okay, I really think this is amazing. I think I want to do this work. But I know that if I enter this field, I want to try to work with a particular type of person who isn't seen and who isn't represented. And that's those that are disabled and particularly those with physical disabilities and chronic pain. Mm. So that's my experience. So anyway, decided, wow, I'm an artist and I can be an art therapist. So I went to school here in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute and since then have found such an incredible community of other art therapists but also disabled artists and culture makers and activists doing such incredible work and it was like I met people who I wanted to be that I knew in my soul that I wanted to be that but I could not articulate that because I had never seen it before Mm. so it was just oh my heart (laughs) just burst it was great to meet those people at Access Living where I'm working part-time now so that community changed everything for me. And it also made me really think about what is, what is therapeutic for disabled people? And, and this, of course, is, you know, this is just a microcosm, but this is for many oppressed groups. Like, what is therapeutic? And in this case, and there's so much, of course, overlap and intersectionality here, but yeah. there is so much power in community healing and peer support. So that's hopefully where I kind of want to stick around. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at now. That's what's led me here. Mm, mm.
0: I just felt like so much activation in my body as you were talking right you know feeling the the resonance of that trauma that must have been there in your body without you know having yeah. your bones broken and then this like awakening you're having to yourself and your experience yeah. and then connecting with others that I was just thinking as you were saying that there are so many people that are out there doing really good work but this work isn't sexy. And so they're not like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston and no one's like shining a spotlight on them. That's exactly right. And so we don't all get together with our people because I guess that's one of the good things of social media is that more of us have more access to the public now. But of course, then there are the algorithms that get in the way. But I mean, it's such a gift. I work with so many people who tell me I don't have a community of, you know, Insert X marginalization, right? Yeah. And they can't find their community. And I'm like, they're fucking out there. Yes. I wish I could like
1: have a magic wand to like, boop, here's your community. Yeah. But there are people out there. Absolutely. There are. And it's just, thank God for social media that that is such a thing. And outside of that, it's like they're also only in big cities too, like urban spaces. It seems like at least finding those communities. And so that's a big thing too. And, But it's so funny. Like, I went so much of my whole life thinking, like, I am the only human on this planet that has ever dealt with this and not this specifically, but just are having these thoughts. Yeah. Are wanting to use my story in this way or to tell my story in this way. And I come to Chicago and I felt like such, okay, well, I'm going to go hang back in a corner now because have a seat. They've been doing this for (laughs) 50 years at least and longer, you know, but just I'm thinking about like the, the disability rights movement and, you know, the 504 sittings. What is that? Yeah. So I want to make sure I don't mess up this history. Are you familiar with Judith Human? Uh-uh. Judy Human. Have you seen Crip Camp before? The documentary? I know of it, but
0: I haven't watched it yet.
1: Okay. So essentially, she's kind of the main protagonist in this documentary, Crip Camp, which is essentially the summer camp where a lot of disabled folks would go during the summer i don't know necessarily where it was somewhere in the united states and they would just gather and have this community every summer and it was like the opportunity to get together and eventually that community kind of started being like activists together and they started disability section 504 which was to integrate more disabled people into schools and they did like a sit-in on the steps of the u.s Capitol, and A lot of disabled people like spent the night in senators offices and just doing all these like really rad, badass stuff to get their needs met, refusing to back down until like this bill was passed and working with the Black Panthers to come together across movements like the Black Panther Party would bring food and water so that these people could stay the night in these offices. Black Panthers were kind of fucking rad. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Very much so. So really that kind of merging with the civil rights movement and how those two movements went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just learning so much about how much this was going on even before I was born and that was Mm. it was just so weird to me that I didn't know that. Wait, when were you born? 1991.
0: Okay. (laughs) Someone sent me an email today and they're like, I'm looking for a middle-aged therapist who, and I'm like, turning around. Who the fuck did you think you sent that email to? Middle-aged? Oh, I guess I'm 43. So, okay. Okay. Go on. Yeah.
1: No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just yeah, just oh, reflecting man. on just how much happened yeah. um, right before I was born. And I was, the signing of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, was in 1990. So, right before I was born. It's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. That it took that long. It took that long. Yeah.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, so yeah, there's so much. And of course, I'm really reflecting on I'm a very privileged person in other ways, in many ways, being white, cis, female Mm-hmm. in this, especially in mental health. And there's so many identities that I don't represent. And so much of the disability justice movement is about centering those that are the most impacted. Mm hmm. So. I'm also in this conversation, in this work, recognizing where I need to speak and where I need to listen as well. So that's been a big, big thing for me as well that I'm continuing to unpack.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing that was coming up for me, and I did not even remember this until you started talking about the initiative. So I am a child of the 80s and 90s, born in 79. So my mom's job, I think she was doing this before I was born. She was working with developmentally delayed adults at the time they were using the R word of course which we will not say here but just guess people and there was this initiative in school called everybody counts and it was now that I know what I know about anti-racism I can put like ableist savior I guess I don't know how you translate white savior to this but I always just got a really icky feeling because it just felt so patronizing because it was like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we're like uplifting the people in the wheelchairs and look how amazing (laughs) these people in wheelchairs (laughs) are we must protect them it just felt and I was like five and I knew it was gross and something wasn't right and I just told myself like oh well I'm an asshole because I'm just uncomfortable around disabled people but it really I think was my mom's saviorism that was really more oh icky sticky to me
1: how interesting that at five years old you could sense that something kind of was off about all of this and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah seeing adults right treated in this way and that's such a common thing and it's uh it's everywhere just like particularly for those developmental and intellectual disabilities right. there's so much patronizing and I know I get it as somebody that's apparently outwardly you can see that I am disabled Just I have people touch me all the time, like strangers that just don't know me. And like, hi, it's just it's so much like boundary crossing. Excuse me. Why do they think they can touch you? Yeah, it's really wild. It really is this unconscious like, oh, you're innocent. Oh, yeah. Like you're childlike or it's just this it's odd. I've seen you kind of see like the very best and the very worst of humanity at the same time because like Mm. people and at best is I say that with nuance but it's like Mm -hmm. people they are just so nice almost in a way where you're like are you just nice to me because like you're trying to show me that you're a good
0: (laughs) a good person
1: yeah like they'll be like hang on let me get that for you I'm coming I'm coming like this like running down the street let me let me grab that grocery bag for you or, or whatever and it's like this weird I got it it's good like I'll ask you like I've literally
0: been living my whole life up until this moment you are not gonna save me from this revolving yes. door
1: or whatever <laughs> right. yes. oh man totally 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 it's just yeah the uninvited comments of like you got a license to drive that thing when it comes to my mobility scooter I was literally just out with my dog like 30 minutes before we hopped on and like we were just walking around. He's a tiny little chihuahua and this guy comes up to and he's like, is he taking good care of you? And then he's like, he looks like the perfect size for you. And all these things are just like, why are you like, it's just the weirdness of it, you know? So there is always a very strange weirdness. And I find, at least in my experience, that it's like people are trying to show you like, I'm cool with this. I'm going to make sure, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm cool with this. I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. This isn't weird. Overcompensating for their discomfort. Which is what's weird. Right. (laughs) It's like, dude, this is my, this is my life. I've never lived outside. Seeing behind these eyeballs in this body, I don't know. But for other people, it might be one of the first times they've encountered somebody of my stature, or at least the first time in like a year, you know, it's been a long time. So for them, it's like, they're always having to manage this discomfort. That comes with that, or they don't know what to do, or if they should be doing more or less, and it's hard to answer those questions sometimes because I right. can't speak for all
0: people. Oh, you can't. You're not speaking for all the disability no, community. No, not well.
1: <laughs> interview over. Just kidding. I know you wanted you wanted the truth. You wanted like the how to guide, right? Yeah, for how right. To, how to deal with us? Yeah. Well, so. it's.
0: I mean, you said intersectionality before, and everything that you're saying, right? Like I'm putting because anti-racism is where I have my most education. And so I can very easily blend everything that I know about that into what you're saying. Like <laughs> my executive director is a black woman and she tells me all the shit that happens to her, the the overly niceness that, you know, it's like I'm a good white person. Make sure, yep. you know, I'm a good white person. And so it's like ableist people, like make sure, you know, I'm a person with ability, but I know my privilege. Yep. Right. <laughs> and I know I'm going to help you. Yep. Totally, mm. totally.
1: It's it's wild. Yeah. You just you learn a lot about people. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a walking anthropologist. I think so many like folks that are of marginalized identities have so much that they like patterns, right? That you pick up on that's fascinating. And right. that you can compare with other folks in that group and how it's just so odd when it matches up and it's like, What is that? you know? Yeah. But I yeah. do I think it's all it's all discomfort, it's all grappling with right. Just the crap that we're all swimming in, and mm-hmm. yeah. shit. You can say shit, yeah, Brie. The shit we're all swimming in, the okay. fuck shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. I
0: love it. I had a question, and where did it go? Oh, it was sort of along these lines of right. Like obviously, every person in every body is different, able and disabled. Right. So we should never assume anything about anyone. The word "differently abled." Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. can you talk about that? Because I think that was in the 80s in this everybody counts thing that I was doing. This is when they started saying, no, you shouldn't say disabled. You should say differently abled. Do you want to talk a
1: little bit about why that is like a no go now? Sure. It definitely like by saying differently abled is implying that the word disabled or disability is inherently negative. Right. That that's a bad word. We shouldn't say it. So. In order to not group people into this word, this term, like we're going to say differently abled, which like in the intention behind that is very good, I think, but I just think it comes from a lack of understanding Mm -hmm. disability, right? Like, and it's true when you think about the word disabled, I think about disabling a car alarm. I think about disabling, you can apply it to things that it literally means turn it off or it doesn't work Mm. or like... Make it stop working. So, like, there mm. is this kind of inherent a weird history to it. Like, so many other things.
0: Well, it centers being able, yeah. just like whiteness is centered in different ways. And whiteness is like the norm and the standard, right? Yep. So, there needs to be a
1: different word. Yeah, there does. But differently abled is not it. Yeah, and just like the word queer, disabled people are reclaiming this word, and also don't want to misspeak and get my facts wrong, but dis the Latin root dis just means different or um, off in a different way or, Mm. you know, variety or it just means like a different kind. I like queer abled. I like that too. That would be fun. It really is like queering ability. Some gay persons can be really mad about that though. Yeah, I know. You're right. But I like it. (laughs) Right. I can't speak to how that feels for sure, but it does have the same kind of idea of just taking something and It's just a different way of being, a different way of doing. And it's also, like you said, like different from what? Different from what is abledness? Because disability is also more of a spectrum than anything. Mm -hmm. Right. You can be disabled by having COVID for a week or longer, right? Or like doing like a temporary injury or aging. Mm -hmm. Everyone's getting more disabled with age. and So it's just this way of we really do have to question the concept of normal and ability and Mm -hmm. think about who we're comparing it to. So it's not as much of a binary, which is complicated. And I, of course, I'm not the expert on that either, because I think there is an importance of having a group that you can identify with and being like, I identify as disabled, whereas somebody that's maybe like more able to function in the world without as many barriers or may not identify as such, but might relate to some of the things. So it is messy. Right. And I hope there's not a lot of gatekeeping around it, because I think the more we open up this conversation, that more people can be like, oh, I, I totally identify with this they can find a place in it and find vocabulary and, Mm -hmm. you know, support within disability community. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and
0: even, I think that, The more we widen access for people with disabilities, for people of color, for gay people, right? The more that we expand what our understanding of normal is, the more people are included. Like, Mm -hmm. I am not a person with dwarfism, but I'm very short. And Mm -hmm. things are made for people who are taller than me. Yeah. Because that's what's considered normal. And if we had fucking adjustable goddamn airplane seats. (laughs) Put them down, man. I yeah. don't like my fucking legs to dangle. My knees hurt yeah. at the end of yeah. a long flight. Right? So if people who had difference... Regardless of what that is, we're the manufacturers of airplanes. We're, right. you know, doing X, Y, Z. Like I'm left-handed too, which is not a disability, but I am very clear what is not made for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just going to school, having desks that were all right-handed. I never sat in a left-handed desk because I was so used to being in a right-handed desk. I couldn't write when there was shit under. So it's just difference, right? Let's embrace difference. Let's expand beyond the binary, and that. That is the fucking evolution of the human species, I'm telling you, is expand beyond the... Tell me more what you think, because I know what I think, and so do my listeners. Tell me. Oh,
1: (laughs) I don't know. I think where we're going with the evolution in social justice is like, we had different waves of this stuff. And I think for a while, it's like, okay, like, I'm in this group, you're in this group, this helps me identify, giving me terms, right? Like, disabled, not, gay, not, whereas now we're kind of seeing a lot of things as more of a continuum of a spectrum, right? Yeah. And that just makes so much more sense to me because life is complicated and we're complicated. Mm -hmm. And it also allows us to see ourselves in all of these things and not say, you're over there, I'm here, you know, it is just like, this is the spectrum of human experience. And it's like, so rooted in human history before civilization as we know it the industrial revolution the enlightenment where like Mm -hmm. gender was not as much of a binary and in so many indigenous cultures it's never been a binary so it's like we've done this to ourselves like it's always been a continuum where it's just like all this colonization and that's made it so much more stiff and yeah yes and it's
0: making me think of To be able to see oneself represented in media then cis straight white people are like, but I can't see myself in this thing. Bullshit if you can't, right? Like the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Have you seen it?
1: Oh, my God. I love that movie.
0: It's so good. Oh, my God. If you have not seen it, listener, go get it immediately. I know you have to buy it on Amazon Prime, but it is worth 20 bucks. It really is. Find the movie, watch it. And it's obviously written from the perspective of an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I saw what I needed to see in that. I saw my relationship with my mother. And at the end of it, I said, Oh my God, how would my life have been different if my mother would have fought for me that hard? Yeah. That's what I saw, right? And of course, people who are child of immigrants were having different experiences and all this stuff. And there's a comedian, I think it's Joel Kim Booster. He's in Loot right now, which is on Apple TV with my Rudolph.
1: Oh, with Maya Rudolph. Well, I haven't watched that, but okay, I've seen it advertised. Okay,
0: it's really cute. And he's got a special called Psychosexual on Netflix. And he's so funny because he's like, he's centering race and he's centering queerness in the thing. And he's like, so who in the audience has never heard of me before, right? And a couple people clap. And then Mm -hmm. he's like, all right, is there one of you that's straight, a straight male, a straight white male? And then like, he picks one out. And he'll do the show and he'll do the section and he'll stop and he'll be like, "Okay, Mike, how was that for you? That was super gay. And that was super like, you know, out out of this. Did you relate to any of this? And like the guy will be like, no, not really. And so he's just like pointing out the audacity of how I don't understand how you cannot find something to relate to. Like if you can't find something to relate to in any representation, you're not paying attention to the humanness. Right. Right. You're just looking at that disability or that skin color or that, you know, whatever it is, socioeconomic status, whatever it is that feels different.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point. You're not really looking at the narrative or the emotion Mm -hmm. and all of this, which is so human. Like you said, that movie everything everywhere all at once for you was more about the relationship you have with your mother right and that wasn't necessarily what i got out of it it was it was i'm trying to remember what i even got out of it besides like this was just like a mind fuck this whole movie was just so good and the way that everything tied together and the artistry Mm -hmm. behind it i was so moved by just how beautiful it was and as an artist i was like how did these writers think of this kind of thing i was thinking it more of a creative point of view so like there's always something you can relate to and so yeah i think I don't know. I don't know what that says about folks that say they can't or if they're not like looking or connecting in the same way. But
0: Mm -hmm. it's
1: probably fear.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and discomfort, like you were saying before, that you experience
1: every day people's discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can soften you. You know, if you're not used to discomfort, maybe. I don't know if there's something that's a little bit hardened. That's a barrier that kind of prevents you from connection in general, because. Yeah, I mean, I think to be marginalized is to live your life in a very vulnerable way. You're just always hanging out for everybody to see. Right. And that can be exhausting. That can also lead to beautiful connections and relationships and the ability to just tell your story and be like, here I am. (laughs) That's a beautiful. Coming on a podcast. Here's the things I've been through, but it's just like, I don't know. But it's like, that's not anything to hide from. or That is a quote right there, Andrea. Pull that one out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Give me my editor the note. That's a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, holy fuck, the time is flying. So I've got to ask you the questions. Do you consider yourself a healer? Oh, my God. And that probably has a trillion
1: more meanings to you, given your medical history. It
0: does. Yeah.
1: The word healing for me always makes me feel weird. I don't know what it is. Yeah, tell me more. I just think it kind of, at least in the field of mental health, has a very white lady type of feeling and like... I'm not offended, oh, don't it's worry. About- yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> healing, I don't know, because it's like I, and I also should say I grew up very heavily in the, in the church, the Christian church, and there's definitely a lot of talk of healing, right? Particularly when it comes to like healing healing your pain or you're healing people from ailments or making the blind see all these ways that we can pray it away or ask for healing or so the word I think has always been a little like magical thinking to me Mm -hmm. but also I do find myself as a therapist using that word a lot particularly when it comes to trauma and I definitely think about healing more in a a trauma context and, and healing and Learning how to take our pain, move it through us, let it transform us, and then be able to use that as our story to then give back to the world if we're able to do so, if we're lucky enough to do so, if we mm-hmm. have the resources to do so. I know there's so much privilege involved in being able to go through the process of healing particularly with a professional. Now, there is so much power in communities as well, which is what gives me hope there. But yeah, I think I would identify as a healer, but I say so with uh, caution. An asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I do believe this work is really important. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we're all healers, and it's just a matter of whether you're in tune with it and in right relationship with whatever that means mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up in the church too. And it's funny because I'm a Reiki master. So I believe in the healing power of touch and Reiki and all that energy. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, my mom having this like idea of like the laying on of hands. And that sounds creepy to me. Mm -hmm. Reiki doesn't. Why? (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Because trauma. That's why. I mean, truthfully. And the way that, like you said, that term was kind of co-opted and misused and, Also, just naive, right? Like, Uh okay, Jesus was special. Guess what? The rest of you are not. So (laughs) maybe he was healing lepers with his touch, but I don't think most people are doing that
1: today. So calm down. Uh Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much like in a spiritual way, like God can heal you. I would identify as a spiritual person still. Not as much like as a part of like the church, but I definitely, I don't know, like there is something going on energetically. I would say I connect to. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good questions. <laughs> so thank you. Um, what about wounded healer? How do you like that? I like that. I like that better. When I first started getting into being a therapist and wanting to work with other disabled folks, I definitely thought of myself in that context. And mm-hmm. when I was writing my graduate thesis on this kind of shared identity in the therapeutic relationship, that came up a lot in what I researched and wrote about. And, I'm still exploring, you know, what that means, but I just, it's almost like I don't know if we can be healers if we're not wounded. That's where I think that comes from. Yeah. So I like that better. booped your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: You have (laughs) to have some depth to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you haven't experienced hardship, like my husband and I, you know, I try not to compare, but he has not suffered many of the things that I have suffered. And he's at least humble about it and recognizing like, yeah, I can't empathize with that and I'm sorry that I can't. I mean, when we first got married, I remember, or we were just dating actually and he was like, oh, let's meet at this place and I was like, I can't ride the red line by myself at that time of night. What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, oh, I literally never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to think about that kind of stuff. right? And, yeah. yeah, Right. Well, that since we have... So little time left. I wanted to make sure a couple of things that I heard you say in the Crip Crap podcast that I I would love for you to expand on a little bit here is one. Well, actually, the one thing and then I'll let you unpack it is that if you have a disabled client, it is not their job to teach you as a therapist what you need to know about the disabled community. Can you
1: speak a little bit more to that? Sure. On that podcast, I was talking with a couple of my friends, Kennedy and Justin, who are both disabled and both activists, and they had me on talking about mental health importance of therapy in the disability community. And we were all identifying with this experience of going to therapy and feeling like our therapist didn't really understand disability, at least not in terms of like disabled identity and like disability pride, as they would think about other identities that folks carry. It was was almost like disability was like, oh, like, that's so sad. You know, that Mm. must be hard. I'm going to have to like, there's that sympathy again. It's definitely more sympathy. I have found that there can be a lot of therapists that are very like, and I don't know how you feel, and it's okay, but that are very like anti-diagnosis or anti-using diagnoses and words because it's like we want to stay away from that. Well, in disability community, people might find a lot of community through a diagnosis right. or through a, just knowing what's going on and, and oh, yes, putting language to that. So yeah, I've come across a lot of therapists who are very much against sending folks to get tested for autism or ADHD because they don't want to put that label on Mm. somebody but it's all coming from a place of like you're doing fine so why would you want to know that or and I it's so funny because like my parents they're both able-bodied average height I had no disability in my family and I know this is kind of an offshoot but like that was kind of their thing of like, why would you want to call yourself disabled? Like, it's fine. Like, so there's just this kind of Mm. weirdness of like, don't put yourself in that category. We can just talk. They're thinking you're broken. Right. right? If we keep thinking disabled
0: and broken are synonyms, then yeah,
1: that's exactly it. So I think that's a lot of what comes up with therapists who are not educated on disability as an identity Mm -hmm. that somebody can claim and find community and the pride. And I just had a consultation with a potential new client today who told me that she's looking for somebody that just gets it because she's been through different therapists who just kind of Mm -hmm. pity it and try to be like, well, did you try this? Did you try yoga? Particularly with chronic pain and all those things that are chronic. And it's not about fixing the condition, it's about helping them advocate for themselves and get their needs met and know what they deserve, understand their worth, Mm -hmm. understand the context of what might be making them feel hypervigilant, anxious, isolated, all of those things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the emotional side of disability and understanding that. And of course, no therapist can know what they don't know or what they haven't experienced. But I think just to be open to just changing their, just kind of reframing for themselves what disability is because it's not something they should pity or try to fix in the client. Yeah. Well, and I think
0: too, because somebody listening to this might start either shaming themselves for feeling those feelings or pressure themselves to learn everything right now and make sure that they are the perfect therapist for every disabled client. And so learning all this shit, unlearning really all this Mm -hmm. shit is such a process And so Mm -hmm. I really want to encourage anybody listening to notice what's coming up for you, right? Because I certainly noticed because I was programmed to have sympathy for people with disabilities. I noticed that, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I can say, oh, look, there's that thing again, right? Just like we can with racism and all the other stuff. Look there, that is again. Okay, that's not how I want to communicate. That's not the behavior that I want to have, and how can I learn differently? And we do that by having amazing conversations with people like you. Well, thank
1: you. Dad. And it still means that you can say to a client, like, that sounds really hard. Right. I don't know what that feels like. And that must be tough for you. And that's so stressful or like, man, mm-hmm. you know, but just to validate their experience and to check in with your own discomfort about like, are you trying to like, right. fix it or make it better? Or are you aligning with where they're at in their journey and how they think about it too? And perhaps help them unpack their own internalized ableism. So I would encourage therapists to maybe like learn more about that because I think a lot of people carry that and connect clients to cool resources and cool artists doing great work that are thinking about disability in such a beautiful, complex way.
0: Yeah. I'd love for you to share some of those resources so that all listeners can check that stuff out.
1: Yeah. So I love to refer folks to a group that is out in the Bay Area. They're called Sins invalid, hmm. and they are um, their performance group of featuring queer, BIPOC, disabled people that are doing really awesome performances and art and video. And they are um, the ones that really started this idea of disability justice. Hmm. So centering the most impacted, thinking about moving together as a collective, interdependently, thinking about being anti-capitalist, and mm-hmm. and they're just such an amazing like kind of like source of inspiration. And so going to like sinsinvalid.org and reading. There's so many books you could read. One that comes to mind is Gollum Girl by an artist that I love, Riva Lair. She's somebody that I worked with at SAIC. She's a portrait artist and does really lovely Portraiture of disabled bodies they are just beautiful. Mm. God, there's like, I'm going to like get off of this and remember all of the things. Um, well, you can send them to me. We can put them in the show notes. <laughs> I will yeah. send you everything yeah. I know. Yes. Um, so there's, I know we're running short on time, but yeah. I want to send you all I can so that you can include yeah. it. Well, where can people find you before we let you go? Uh, my website is Brianna B r i a n n a b e c k B R I A N N A B E C K.com. I'm trying to start a therapist Instagram right now, but there's literally no posts on it. But hopefully by the time this episode comes out in the next yeah. few months, you can find me at L C P C. And I will be trying to generate some stuff to put out there. But right now I'm just trying to take care of myself and, yeah. and um, digest versus like output. Yeah. But that's my hope is to do a little bit more online things myself and make it more accessible to folks these kinds of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have lunch or
0: coffee or something at some point because you're awesome. And I would love to spend more time with you.
1: Thank you. I would love that. It would be an honor to to spend more time with you and just, yeah, hear more about your experiences. So
0: yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I can't remember. I think his pronouns are he, him. I cannot remember his name, but there was somebody that I saw speak recently who was, just blew me out of the water and I want to make sure to connect you with that person if you have not already connected with them but yeah there's more to come between you and I I look forward to it great yeah. great to have this
1: this relationship going yeah thank yeah. you so much for being here this is so great yeah thank you I, I really enjoyed myself and Good. yeah I'm excited to, to connect again for sure All right Thanks so much to Brie for being an
0: incredible guest today. If you want to learn more about Brie Beck, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.